Can we kind of uh, agree that the universe is kind of mysterious? Yeah? That we don't have it all figured out? Uh, I'm not a science teacher. I am probably the least qualified person to talk about this this morning, but I want to talk to you a little bit about something called the double slit experiment as an example of how mysterious the universe is. How many of you are familiar with the double slit experiment? Okay, a few engineers. So the double slit experiment is this, is this wonderful tool to help deal with the paradox of the duality of light. So here's the question. Is light a wave or is it a particle? What is light? And if we asked you what light was, you'd have different answers. But scientists have kind of come down to this idea that light is both a wave and a particle. So in the 17th century, Isaac Newton, the apple man, gravity man, you know, apple from the tree, bonk, uh, that guy. Isaac Newton, who had lots of other wonderful ideas, wrote a whole treatise about light. And he posited that light is a particle. So it's coming at us, just think like, you know, billions of particles. Light is coming and flowing, and that kind of held ground for a couple hundred years. And and some were wondering about, is light a particle? Maybe it's more like a wave. And then this young guy named Thomas Young um, developed an experiment in the 19th century called the double slit experiment, where you take a beam of light and you have a, a screen in front of it with two little slits in it. And the light passes through the slits, and then it hits a wall behind that. And if you look at this picture, Here's the light source going through the screen with the two little slits. And then can you see those little red lines that don't show up that well on this wall? Can you see the red lines? That's the idea of how light should behave when you shine it through the two little slits. That would make sense, right? Two little slits, light goes through. There should be two beams of light on the back wall. That's what you would expect. But in reality, when you shine light through these two little slits, you get a very intense amount of light in the middle. And as it goes out, you get dark patches and then more light strips and dark patches and more light strips. So Thomas Young's experiment kind of showed that light very much has a wave-like quality. So if you would think about, you know, two putting your hands in, in the pool like this, you'd get two sets of ripples. And when the ripples overlap, you'll get troughs and waves that are canceling each other out and you'll see a pattern develop. That's what's happening with light. So then there's this quandary. So is light a particle or is it a wave? It, it seems to be both. And then quantum studies comes into the play. And in quantum studies, they do some other weird things where they've been able to figure out how to shoot a single photon through the slit. And when you shoot it through the slit, it behaves like a particle. It shows up on the back. Am I getting this right? Then they try to measure it. So they put in a device to measure what's happening. And when they put the device in, no, it behaves like a wave, sorry. When they, so it behaves like a wave going through the two slits, and it's looking like a wave. When they put the device in to measure it, it stops. The device isn't getting in the way. It's just actually measuring, but it stops. And it behaves like a particle. And then you take the device away, and it goes back to the way it was. You put the device in, and scientists to this day still are trying to figure out kind of the cause of that, and still trying to determine this duality of light, that it's both a particle and a wave, which seems impossible, but it is. The universe is still filled with all kinds of weird and wonderful and wild things that we're loath to put the term mystery to, But in many respects, 
they are mysterious. We still don't know what gravity is. We know how it works, don't we? Taking a tumble lately? You know how gravity works. But we're still trying to figure out what it actually is. And then when you get into quantum studies, which is way beyond anything, I like to watch videos and read about it, but most of it makes no sense to me. Except for this. Our universe, the more we study it, especially as we get into quantum studies, it just gets weirder and weirder in a beautiful way. And I think as people of faith, our faith should be just driving us into enjoying all these um, fields of study in learning more and more about our universe. This brings me to the reading that Teresa just did, which is about the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. Because when it comes to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, for a lot of people, it becomes very much a, oh, that's that stuff. And all I simply put forth is our universe is filled with all kinds of mysteries. And I think the resurrection is one of them that we as people of faith would say, the evidence is there. We don't have to prove it, but we can make a case for it and present the evidence and then let the evidence speak for itself and people can decide what they would like to do with it. So the disciples saw Jesus killed and the Romans were great at killing. So if you ever heard a theory about um, Jesus like swooning or falling asleep, uh, it just doesn't hold water based on the abilities of Roman execution. They knew what tomb he was laid in. We looked at this last week with the women going to the tomb. They knew which tomb he was in. When they come back the next day, they see that the tomb is empty. And so there's the evidence of the empty tomb. And then there's these wild things about Jesus appearing over and over again. So he shows up. They're in a room together, maybe like this, probably a smaller room, and they're scared, they're frightened, the doors are locked, and then suddenly, boom, Jesus is there. And of course, in the day of television and Hollywood, we can come up with all these ideas of how he showed up. We have no idea. He was just not there, then he was there. And he seemed to be able to go through doors and go through walls. And yet, with that same body, he would say to them, I'm hungry. You got something to eat. I love it. The resurrected Jesus is a mooch. Hey, you guys, you got, and you know, you know why? Because they need to, to realize that, that he's real. And so he's eating fish in front of them. So there's this resurrected body of Jesus, which is very similar but different. The guys on the road to Emmaus that we looked at last week didn't recognize him at first. And part of it was their own hang-ups. But then here, they, they recognize Jesus, they see him, but there's something different. And so this is just a little bit what we're going to explore here this morning around this idea of resurrection and ascension. So here's the, here's the question, though, that maybe you've been asking. What's the big deal with the resurrection anyway? Why do we have to go on and on about the resurrection? Isn't it enough to claim that Jesus died on the cross? He died for humanity. He died for the universe. 
Why do we then have to go on and, and shove this whole idea about resurrection, which just so many people have so much difficulty believing that some person could rise from the dead? Scientifically, when you look at probabilities, it's pretty slim. And of all the 100 billion people approximately that have lived on the planet throughout human history, how many have risen from the dead? So from a probability standard, people would say it's impossible. It's just not factual. Why don't you guys just live with the death? We all get that. Everybody dies. This guy was a good guy. They killed him for it. He's a martyr. He died for people's sins. If you want to throw that in there, knock yourself out. What's the big deal about the resurrection and the ascension? I would suggest a few things. Vindication. The big deal about the resurrection is throughout Luke's gospel, you'll read again and again that Jesus says the Son of Man will be crucified, die, and then do what? Rise again on the third day. And so there's this sense of vindication of Jesus saying, this is going to happen, and then it happens. But it also shows that the stuff that Jesus said and who he claimed to be shows that he really is the God that Israel was expecting embodied in this man named Yeshua bar Joseph, Jesus, the son of Joseph. And it vindicates his triumph over things like death, over things like evil, over the enemy, over sin, over the violence that was enacted upon him, Jesus is vindicated through, in his response through his resurrection. And so the resurrection very much shows the reality of everything Jesus claimed and who he was and what he was doing to be true. And I think that's a big deal. But it's not just about vindication. It's about accessibility. So I had to explain to someone this morning, because often on a Sunday morning, particularly when I'm here doing music, um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on to make music happen. So I hope you appreciate what our music teams do. I write stuff down and I look at my notes here and I stand here and I talk and I can free wheel it. Um, when you're doing the music stuff, man, you gotta make sure everybody knows their part and does their stuff and I'm so appreciative of all the people that lead, lead music. But I had to say to somebody this morning like, yeah, I, got, I gotta be here and I gotta be there and I gotta be there and I gotta be there. And so it's hard to get to a person when you wanna see them and there's a lot of other people. Yeah? You're like, yeah, Paul, I've been trying to talk to you for four Sundays. Um, so in the case of Jesus, when Jesus is in bodily form, he has access to a certain amount of the population that can come to him, can listen to him, can talk with him. But other than that, um, you've got to wait your turn, and you may never be able to see him. When Jesus goes back to the Father, one of the things he says, another gospel writer, gospel is just simply a good news story about Jesus, so another one of the writers named John has recorded Jesus saying to his disciples, 
If I go to the Father, then the Spirit or another counselor can come and be with you, and that's the Spirit of Christ. And suddenly, rather than one individual that everybody wants to get to and talk to and plead their case to, now the Spirit of Christ comes, and the Spirit is present to everybody, everywhere, at all times. So when you think, ah, like... I don't have access to God. Let me encourage you that he is fully present. And again, we come back to this wonderful duality of our physical nature and our spiritual nature and how God works and operates both in this world and in the spiritual realm. And our ability to have access to God is so much more prevalent because the Spirit of Christ is fully present for everyone. So it's not just vindication, it's accessibility. And then what gets really exciting for me is representation. Jesus, as a human, is sitting with God, reigning and ruling over creation right now. And the early Christians wrote about this, and one guy named Paul, who was a leader in the early church, he wrote a letter to a church that had a lot of, a group of followers, we call it a church, there was a group of followers that had all kinds of problems in their community, and he wrote letters to them back and forth. We have two of the letters he wrote. They're called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the apostle Paul writes extensively about this whole idea of the resurrection and that Jesus is the first one to go among us. And so what we see in the body of Jesus, that he's similar but now different, he can appear and disappear but go through things but then eat fish that's solid, that body is representative of what awaits all of those who the, the, script, the biblical writers would say who are in Christ. So we have the benefit of while our bodies, you know, the, the biblical writers talk about, you know, though the earthly tent we live in is, is deteriorating and fading away, today's language we would just say, like, we're all falling apart, okay? The older you get, the more you're falling apart. So I'm sorry to break it to you. Um, I'm at that stage in my life where I'm more and more realizing the reality of that statement. But we're falling apart, and we know it, and there's nothing we can do about it, but we have this hope that what we saw in Jesus is something that awaits us. The resurrection is a pretty big deal, because without it, the crucifixion of Jesus actually doesn't really make any sense. And so Paul, who was this lead in the church, said, if Jesus wasn't resurrected or rose from the dead, then our faith is kind of pointless and we're still just lost and sick and broken. Vindication, accessibility, and representation. Now, let's talk a little bit about the ascension because we don't really do much with the ascension of Jesus in a lot of our churches. In fact, this might, might surprise you, I don't know. The Gospel of Luke, this guy named Luke, this doctor who wrote such an amazing account of Jesus, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, the good news story of Jesus, 
and he wrote the book of Acts. So if you're looking for a word count, Luke has written more of the New Testament than any other person, including the Apostle Paul. But when it comes to the ascension, Luke is the only one of the four accounts we have of the life of Jesus who actually mentions the ascension. Don't you find that curious? Why don't the others mention it? I have no idea. They were focused on other things. But Luke felt it was important for us to understand that at one point, Jesus went to be with the Father. So I think in the Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox, and even in our Catholic church, this idea of ascension has a little more oomph to it than what we typically have done with it in our Protestant churches. But I think just like the resurrection, the ascension is actually really important. So let's just come back and look at this verse, verse 50 and 51 in Luke 24. So Jesus led his followers to Bethany. It's a little town just outside of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And he lifted his hands to heaven and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1, he gives a little more extensive account of what's happening here with the ascension. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus goes to be with the Father. So there's this idea of of Luke saying, hey, this is important for us to learn about and to know. And then you're kind of asking the question, what does it prove? Kind of like what's so important about the resurrection Why does the ascension of Jesus matter? Well, I think it matters because it shows what God's intent has been all along from the very beginning, that heaven and earth are never meant to be separate because heaven isn't a place. Heaven is the presence of God. And the presence of God has always been intended to be fully with humanity. And when you read the biblical story in the book of Genesis, one of the things we realize is that sin has corrupted that and kind of messed everything up. But from the very beginning, God intended to be fully present with humanity and to actually reign with us. So in Genesis chapter 1, we read that he created male and female, and he put them over the garden to work for the garden. And he says to them, you know, reign or rule or care for all of this. And there's this idea that in partnership with God, we are to reign over creation, which is such a wonderful background behind all of the green movement, which um, kind of has been taken over by um, a lot of our corporations and stuff, but it's really important for us to realize, like, being green um, is really old. It's not a new thing. We just need to, to get in touch with our faith again. But there's this idea of God and humanity ruling in partnership. So when Jesus goes to be with the Father, I just want to remind you, when Jesus left his disciples and he ascended to heaven, he did it in bodily form, not spiritually, He wasn't an angel floating up to the sky to eat Philadelphia cream cheese. And he is still with the Father now 
in bodily form, reigning with God. Jesus has begun, or again, what was always intended, is that God and humanity together, side by side. And so he has just led the way for the rest of us. There's this idea of the merging of heaven and earth. So when you read the last letter in the New Testament, the end of our Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, John, who has this vision about all these things, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the, the, the new city Jerusalem coming out of heaven and coming down to earth. And he talks about this new garden, like the Garden of Eden, this new city that's being formed. But the thing that's missing in the city is the temple, because what does the temple signify? In the Hebrew Bible, the temple signifies the presence of God. In the new time, at the return of Christ, there's no need for a temple because God is fully present for everyone. There's this idea with the ascension of Jesus that heaven and earth are beginning to come together again. And I think it's a wonderful reminder that our physical existence is just as important as our spiritual existence. And somehow I think over the last hundred years or so, we kind of lost our way in parts of the church. And we got really focused on going to heaven, escaping this awful place called earth. And we've created a psyche that material things are bad and the spiritual is what, re- is what is really important. And I think the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus is a reminder to us that God cares about the physical. He wants us to have new bodies. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about, in Romans chapter 8, all of creation waiting to be made new to get its new body. And Jesus is the precursor to all of it, representative of all of it. So I tell you that because I, I wonder sometimes if maybe you don't feel like, you know, I got all this crap going on in my life. You know, my body's falling apart. I can't remember things or I'm sick or someone I love is really sick and they're dying. Like, does God even care about, is it just really about saving my soul? And I just think the resurrection and the ascension is like, no, 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 no. Don't get this wrong. Let's not separate these two things. We are holistic beings, and God cares about every facet of who you are, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And you can go away today and have all these wonderful conversations. Where in the world is Jesus? Where is he right now if he's with God in bodily form? All the best with that, to so try to figure that out. But there's something that kind of, you know, brings us to all of this, and that's this idea that, that Jesus not only has gone to be with God, but Jesus is coming back. So what he started on the cross through his death and resurrection is is God's uh, revolution of taking back what was all messed up, all of his creation. 
And the revolution is about setting things right because everybody on this planet knows that something's broken. It's not the way it's meant to be. And yet the hope we have is that the death and resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of setting it right. And then because we are invited to participate with God in reigning with him, one of the beautiful things that we have in the church is the ability to partner with him now in setting the world right. To show the world not a counterculture, but what could be. And sometimes it might be counter, and other times maybe not. But we're invited to set things right. And because God cares so much about our spiritual nature and our physical nature, it sets Christianity up brilliantly to address physical needs in this world. Part of the reason why Christianity shaped the West so profoundly is because the early Christians realized how important it was to address people's spiritual and physical needs. So we are resurrection people. We are ascension people. And we are descension people. I know descension is not a word, but I had to use it because it just fits. Resurrection, ascension, descension. Because we have this hope that Jesus has promised that he's coming back. And when he comes back, that's going to be the final merging of heaven and earth. And a new heaven and a new earth. And setting the universe right will be in its completion. And that includes... Individuals are struggle with sin and being freed from that finally and fully and freed from death and freed from decay and freed from everything falling apart into this newness that Jesus has already begun for us. I was going to spend time talking about the final words of Jesus in this passage, but I got too caught up in his resurrection and ascension but I encourage you to read through and just look at what Jesus says. I want to leave you with this last thing. As Jesus was going up to the Father, Luke says he raised his hands and he blessed his disciples. The people who had screwed up through all three years of following him, again and again and again, they just messed up. And they abandoned him in his hour of need at his death. It's no wonder he had to say to them when he reappeared the first time, peace be with you. Because they were wondering, is he going to give us what we deserve? And I think he just had to say to them, don't be afraid, relax. And as he's going up, he gives them a priestly blessing. You are right with God. I think they needed to hear that. I think maybe today we all need to hear that. The words of Jesus again. Because of who he is, because of what he's done, you are forgiven. You're right with God in Christ. Let that be an encouragement for you. And let's be people that realize that God cares just as much about your spiritual and your physical nature, including this world. Amen.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead and on the third day rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen.